0: everybody. It's great to see you. If we've never met before, my name's Adam. I am the longtime lead pastor of highway <laughs> community. <laughs> it's been three weeks and man, it's been great. And today is one of those kind of days. I don't know what it is. People maybe ate a little too much turkey or cranberry sauce. And often it's a little lower attended uh, service. Uh, and uh, so I just want you this morning, let's just start by you giving a, yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> like you're the real ones. You're the ones that Jesus looks down on and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And uh, we're not going to judge those who are not here. We'll just uh, see what Jesus has to do with them. Uh, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and if you're listening online, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other people. Uh, well, uh, so thinking, speaking of Thanksgiving, I am naturally thinking of football, and I want to tell you, I want to start our time by telling you the greatest and worst moment in football history, and you do not have to be a football person to enjoy this story. Uh, Everybody is welcome here, even football deniers. Okay, so uh, I was 10 years old. I have a picture to help give context. Look at that guy. (laughs) Southern Baptist, he was a good good kid. Ten years old, and I was cheering. I found myself a fan of the Buffalo Bills, who are still a team to this day. I've become a fan of theirs because I love underdogs. And for two years straight, the Buffalo Bills had lost the Super Bowl, an epic collapse. And so this year, they were playing the Oilers, and this was a playoff game. And it was already not looking good because the Bills had lost their star. quarterback, and now they're going to be led by this man, Frank Reich. I got a picture of him there. And so already it wasn't great, but I had my 10-year-old heart ready to go, and the game started, and it was bad from the beginning. But by halftime, the Bills were being crushed, and my heart was crushed, I decided to give him one more chance in the third quarter, though. They started out the third quarter, Frank Reich threw an interception touchdown, and the score was 35 to (laughs) 3. And so I did what any like logical 10-year-old would do at that point. I stopped watching. I gave up. I went to my room. I started playing regular Nintendo. They don't make them like they used to, am I right? And occasionally... Occasionally, I would hear my dad say something like, uh, "Hey, they scored," and I'd be like, "Ah, it doesn't matter. It's pointless at this point. Like I had every reason to give up. It was logical. The bills had shown that they would collapse in big games. they didn't have their star quarterback. But then, at some point, I heard my dad yelling I heard him say, "They did it. They did it, and so I ran out, I came, and I looked at the screen, and the wrong team was celebrating the bills were cheering. And Frank Reich was held up on the shoulders of his players. Uh, I couldn't believe it. They had done the impossible. At the time, it was the greatest comeback in NFL history. Many considered it to be one of the best games ever. It was simply called the comeback. It was miraculous. It was a magical moment. And I missed it. <laughs> and I missed it. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, this reality in our culture... We have every reason to give up. It's a pretty logical thing. We have every reason to give up. Some of those are big and broad reasons. We see news about climate change. We see news about wars, natural disasters. Uh, We have uh, crazy tribalism, polarization. For some of you, I might need to remind you, we are one month away from an election year. Anybody else not excited to be an electioneer again? There's these big issues, but then there's personal issues. There's smaller issues. Uh, Some of you, maybe it's a relationship that has broken apart. For some of you, you might not say it out loud, but you've got some financial stress and burdens. Uh, Maybe for some of you today, again, maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but you have some uh, anxiety, some depression going on. And over time, we just have every reason to give up. So as we start today, I just want to give you a moment with yourself, with God. And I just want to ask you, what is that reason for you? What's this area? What's the area in your life that you're starting to believe maybe it's time to give up? Just spend a moment with God. You can close your eyes if you want to. What's that area in your life? And maybe for some of you this morning, you can't think of one and maybe it's not you, but maybe you have a family member or a friend or a neighbor and you know that they are on the verge of giving up and they have every reason to. And so as we finish up our series where we've been talking about the house of prayer and last week we talked about house of prayer is not a house of prayer without being a house of justice. We're going to end our time by talking about, can we be a house of hope? Can we be a house of hope? We're going to wrestle with the question, uh, what happens? What do we miss when we give up? So let's jump back into uh, the scripture we've been in for three weeks. If you haven't been with us, we've been looking at this strange text where Jesus goes berserk in the temple. And so let's read this. This is Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple. He drove out all of those who were buying and selling in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And then how about we all read this out loud together? This has sort of been the core part of our series the past three weeks. Let's read this together. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So we're going to spend our time today talking about the blind and the lame. And this sentence at the end of the scripture has a lot in it because the blind and the lame were not actually allowed in the temple. These are folks that would have been considered unclean. So they were excluded from going into the temple. And we've been talking about this uh, the last three weeks. This is a big part of this scripture. Those who have been excluded from a divine connection with God. And for you, I'm sure you've had moments in your life where you have felt excluded, right? Uh, My uh, friend this past week, he got to go to this special club section of a Warriors game. And over and over again, he'd send me videos. He'd be like, look at the food. Look at this. There's drinks and they're free. Like, look how close I am to the game. And uh, he was showing me that because this is an area I will never be allowed in. Uh, Maybe you've been on a vacation and you see this like uh, this awesome awesome hotel or experience, and you're sort of looking over the fence. Uh, Lori and I have done that before, and you just know, I'm never going to belong there. Uh, But also, this can happen uh, personally, right? Uh, Maybe in your life, you have experienced an in-group who has excluded you because of your personality. Uh, Maybe it's your gender. Maybe it's a disability you have. Maybe it's your sexuality. And you have this visceral feeling of what it feels like to be excluded This is one of my favorite things about Jesus is he understands this visceral feeling. And over and over again, he comes to those who are excluded and he he, he, uh, sends out his hand, a greeting, a welcome. And we see this in the temple here. Uh, Isn't it interesting as Jesus has had this big tirade, who is left in the temple? Who are the ones who left? It was the in group. It was the religious elite But the ones who were left standing, it was the excluded, the blind and the lame. The reality is these were like the true believers. These are the true believers. A lot of people followed Jesus and they were interested and fascinated by him. But many of them didn't actually believe Jesus was who he said he was. But these people did. And what do we find uh, that they did? They believed and they were healed and they were healed. And this morning, as we hear the word healed, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do I believe? Do I believe? Do I believe Jesus is who he said he is? Do I believe these ancient stories are actually true? And even a bigger question, do I believe that Jesus can still do this kind of stuff to this day? The reality is adults, this is a hard question to ask. Because we know how the world works. We've had reality check after reality check. And believing is hard as an adult. But it didn't used to be. It didn't used to be, right? Uh, When I was a kid, I had a best friend. And we did everything together. We played football. We wrestled together. We went on adventures together. Uh, This best best friend was not a human, though. It was a dog. (laughs) My best friend's name was Prince Caspian. That's us. I promise you, I'm not choking him. (laughs) He liked it. He liked it. Uh, Some of you, when you hear the name Prince Caspian, you're like, that's a weird name for a dog. Uh, Others of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Prince Caspian came from this uh, book series by C.S. Lewis I I was obsessed with called The Chronicles of Narnia. And I loved in this book series, this magical world where crazy things would happen. And I believed in it. I can't tell you the amount of times I would go into my parents' closet <laughs> and sort of open up the coats, and I'd like, slowly, with faith, I would touch the back. <laughs> and it never, never was snow. It was always a wall. Uh, but I also, the stranger thing, when nobody was looking, and I knew no one was around, I'd be sitting with Prince Caspian. And I'd sort of check around, and then I'd lean down, and I'd look at Prince Caspian in the eyes, and I'd say, like, can you hear me (laughs) say something? If you can hear me and over and over again, he never talked. I'm still confident he could have, if he wanted to, but that's the thing with kids, right? Children are hardwired for belief. Kids come out of, the, uh, out of the womb, seeing this wonderful, miraculous, strange world and hardwired for the miraculous and the magical and the wonderful. And Jesus understood this about kids. Uh, isn't it interesting that kids loved Jesus? Kids don't like grumpy people, but kids loved Jesus. And Jesus, like everybody else who was overlooked, excluded, that the culture saw as invaluable, Jesus saw as valuable. Jesus valued kids, saw them as worthy at one point Jesus says in Matthew 18:3, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So apparently, uh, being childlike is is a part of being uh it's part of the value of the kingdom of heaven. Uh to be clear, he's not talking about being childish. Or being ignorant or not asking hard questions, but belief, faith, hope. Having this miraculous lens is a part of the kingdom of heaven. But over time, we get beaten down. We get worn down Uh, throughout our lives. People tell us to grow up. Uh, We experience the pain of life. We get betrayed. We realize how mean people can be. And so as adults, often we give up the belief that Jesus can actually soothe and Jesus can actually heal. He can actually do the things that we see in scripture. Uh, Many adults, uh, we then find other ways to heal and soothe ourselves. Uh, It's interesting in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, he would talk about this, this temporary healer and soother. It's called the balm of Gilead. Apparently, in a local region, there was a balm and a salve that people believed could br- could bring temporary relief. Uh, in our day, my, my, gran- uh, my mother-in-law, when she visits and our kids sometimes get hurt, she'll get out like a bottle of something like this, and she'll say, uh, this is grandma's magic salve. And she'll put it on their hands, and I don't know what it is, but it works. They're healed instantly. I don't know if she's sort of a witch or something like that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. But on this, I was—I got out this bottle. Uh, this sermon is brought to you by Aquaphor, by the <laughs> way. I found it fascinating. It says healing ointment, healing ointment, Isn't that interesting. And then I was at Sprouts this week, and I've got a picture here I want to show you. Uh, I just found this is fascinating. It says you're the balm. But it's interesting. It says repair. Restore, revive, repair, restore, revive. And people believe that this balm of Gilead had the ability to repair and restore and revive. But then Jeremiah implies that this balm only provided temporary, not lasting healing. And adults, we do this in our day too. We use temporary lasting balms, not literal bombs, but we use what are often called coping mechanisms. When we're anxious and we can't get uh, our thoughts to stop, we turn on our phone and we numb out. We binge shows. We play video games. We get lost in our hobbies. Uh, some of us uh, will get addicted to food or drink. Some of us will hide in our bubbles. Other of us, uh, others of us will refuse to be left alone. Some of us will work nonstop. We will do these things to help us cope, to help us repair. Uh, And let's be honest, sometimes they work or else we wouldn't use them. Like when I'm stressed out and I have a plate of nachos, I feel soothed. (laughs) It feels good. But we all know they only work for a while. They're not lasting. They're temporary healers. Uh, when I uh, grew up, I sang, or uh, I grew up in a church where we sang hymns, we sang hymns from a hymn book. And uh, I've been t- trying to tell our worship leader, Jake, that that's what we need to go back to. That's the real worship. So maybe if we all bombard his email this week, he will, we can get hymns back. Uh, but there's this old hymn that I grew up with that was called the Bomb of Gilead. And I didn't understand it at all. I thought it was uh, talking about an actual bomb that would blow up. Um, But I looked at it this week in this hymn, The Balm of Gilead. It says this, there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There's a balm in Gilead to heal the wounded soul. Jeremiah says that balm of Gilead, that's not going to work for long, but there's another balm that will come one day. And this, this balm, has the power to heal a wounded soul, Jesus, the healer, the balm. And this is the final piece of the temple story I've intentionally left out the past few weeks. Because the temple was a place people would go to, a physical location, they would travel there on their donkey, it had a court, a courtyards, had incense, curtains, Uh, But then Jesus came and he said, they're going to tear down the temple, but I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And people were confused. They were like, you can't rebuild a temple. It's taken us years and years. But of course, Jesus was talking about something different. He was introducing a new reality that Jesus is the temple. He is the temple. This is the new reality. Uh, You don't have to travel. You don't have to offer sacrifices. You only had to come to Jesus and believe. To believe he is who he says he is. And this is the power of this part where the blind and the lame are healed. They didn't have to go deeper into the temple. They didn't offer sacrifices. They only had to believe and they were healed. So back to us. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Are you willing to hope again, to believe again? Because in this world, there's every reason to give up. But with Jesus, there's every reason to hope. And this is the reason I want to start my tenure at Highway with this series called House of Prayer. Because frankly, I want to be a part of a community who is willing to pray childlike prayers a community that prays bold and risky and courageous prayers in a world full of cynicism and bitterness and logic and data. I don't want to give up. I want to believe. I want to hope. And this is what I want to ask of you as our church community. Whatever your area of giving up is, I want to ask, would you be willing to hope again? Would you be willing to bring to God some bold and courageous prayers? And then the second thing I would ask of you, would you be willing to hope again in this community? To believe that God can revive and restore and repair. that He can do something magical and miraculous in our midst. Because the reality is we are surrounded by needy people. And sometimes in Silicon Valley, it can be hard to realize this because often people aren't needy in physical ways, although some are, and we see this. Actually, the other day, Lori said uh, our four-year-old made a wish at, a, at a, a fountain, and she asked him what he wished for, and he said, a, a white Tesla. <laughs> and we were like, oh, he's been in Silicon Valley too long. Uh, but Often that's a veneer, right? The reality is there are needy, needy people all around us, internal, eternal needs. And they've tried the balms, they've tried the salves and the coping mechanisms, and they're not working and they're looking for lasting healing. And that's the final word about the temple. The Apostle Paul uh, says this crazy, extraordinary thing in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He extends the ideal of a temple to an extraordinary level, he says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? The spirit of God dwells, abides with you. People used to come to a building to go to the temple, and now they can experience this divine connection wherever you are. You are a traveling temple. You're the balm you're the healer. People don't have to just go to a temple. They just need to be close to you. The spirit of God within you. Maybe you can't heal people physically like Jesus, but you can heal people through your presence, the way you listen, your joy, your care, your nurturing, your inclusion. Uh, The spirit of God dwells within you. You are the temple. And this is what it means to be on mission in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces among the marginalized. This is what we mean. So final thought, Uh, this is the season of hope. We're beginning that as Julie mentioned, and our longing is to be a house of hope. Uh, we have this like poster up in our house right now, and it's a quote from Home Alone. Uh, you might remember it. The mom is at the airport and she's like yelling at the airport uh, worker and says, this is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. And I was thinking about my favorite Christmas movie, It's Wonderful Life. And uh, I, I love it because it's got a, a, a dark and bleak Uh, underbelly, but then there's this, this hope that exudes at the end. The character George Bailey has every reason to give up. He's losing all of his money. He had massive dreams for his life and none of them have come true. And so we find George Bailey at the end of his rope and he's about to give up. And what does he do? He has one last uh, thing to throw up. He throws up a prayer. And this prayer gets uh, answered in a miraculous way. Clarence, uh, the guardian angel gets sent. I was thinking about this movie. I was thinking about those in our neighborhood, those around us, and how many of them are at the end of their rope and they're asking for something to help. Now, maybe you are no guardian angel. Maybe you are no Clarence, but what if God is sending you to be their hope? Wherever you are, the people you interact with. This is what we want to be as a community, a house of prayer, a house of justice, and a house of hope. So I want to invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads with me. And we're going to spend uh, some time in prayer. And I just want to read these words again. Um, And as I read these words, I want you to think about one of two things. Think of This area in your life where you're about to give up. Or you can think about a neighbor or a friend. And as I read these words, I just want you to spend time with Jesus. Spend time with him and ask him to be the healer, to help you believe again. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Jesus, we want to come to you this morning. We, we want to believe again. We want to believe you are who you say you are. For some of us, we have become wary and weary of uh, things in this world, pain, heartache, betrayal. And we need our faith restored that you are still active and moving and you can do miraculous and magical things. Would you restore that in us? And Jesus, uh, for others of us, uh, we need to be reminded that we are missionaries. We are Temples, everywhere we go, your spirit abides and dwells in us. Would you restore in us this task of loving others, wherever we are, of listening, nurturing? We would pray that this highway community, that it would exude this love and hope wherever we go. That this wouldn't just be a place where we uh, put on a service a place where we keep an organization open, but we would be on mission for the kingdom of Jesus everywhere we go. So Jesus, we believe that you can do this and we're asking you to. It's your name we pray. Amen.